Our reading for today's service comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, selected verses. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished, and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is, with, is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us, this time to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, draw us close to you today as we worship through song and prayer and fellowship. Deepen our faith and joy in the glories of your gospel today, Lord. Father, you know the multitude of sins that we have committed in our life, and even this past week, even this morning. Help us to hate our sin more and grow in the grace as we contemplate what Christ has done to forgive us from our sin's death grip. Open our hearts to see the glorious hope that we have in Christ, your love for all of us and the power of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Cause our hearts to burn within us as we celebrate the gospel preached through your word today, Lord. And we pray for the folks in our church body who suffer from different afflictions. We pray today for Rob Lobbs uh, for a successful recovery from his surgery last week. We pray for Annie um, Mayfield as she grieves the loss of her mother. For John Hickson, please give him the ability to, to breathe better and to have energy that can only come from you, Father. Please come now, Lord, and lift up those folks who suffer from sickness and depression, financial issues, and other things, Lord. Other things that we experience in a, in a broken, sinful world. For you alone are our strength and our comfort. This morning we also pray for Andy as he brings us the message, God, that your spirit would guide his words and all things would be said in truth. Remove any distractions from us, Lord, that we hear that would intend us, that would allow us to not really get the whole entire message. We thank you for everyone here today and for the folks home online. Lord, we pray together the prayer that you have taught us to pray now from Matthew 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. First off, I want to say thank you to Scott for taking care of the first half of this morning's service. Thank you, Scott. That uh, makes, makes filling in for Duncan a lot easier when I only have half of what, what is done here every Sunday morning. 
I want to start with a short little prayer here. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for everyone here this morning, God, and thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask your blessing on it that as I bring it forward, that these will be your words and that this will be your message to this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to go through this uh, short few passages, few lines of scripture that were read this morning already. And we're going to give a considerable amount of time to just the, the main point of this passage. And that was going to be the reaction of those who knew Jesus. Um, this passage of scripture is in the middle of Jesus' ministry. Yeah, he has been teaching throughout Galilee. And these verses that I'm going to read now, verses 23 and 24, are from earlier in Matthew's gospel. And they are describing how things normally go. Verse 23, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jude Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And from these verses we can say that as he has been preaching, and those who had heard were in agreement, great crowds were following him. Uh, from other scripture we can learn that uh, at one point, he even told the apostles that I'm going to take the crowds and I'm going to go talk to them and you guys go ahead and get out, basically. Get, slip out the back way and go get some rest because this, this has been too much. So, so he's, in essence, uh, the crowds are so overwhelming, the crowds are so pressing that he needs to even make an exit strategy so that he can get away for a little bit of time. And then we go this morning to verses from chapter 13. It looks, it looks well. Verses 53 and 54 are first verses. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So Jesus is teaching in his hometown, a town where as I could find, he was raised till at least the age of 12. Some say he stayed there longer, but he was at least there till 12. Everyone's in agreement of. And um, the people in the town were astonished, says so right here in Scripture, uh, which is the same reaction as he had anywhere else. But then teaching in Nazareth, things do turn out differently. And the next six words found in this morning's Scripture are the key. Uh, verse seven fifty-seven says, and they took offense at him. They took offense. Why the change in reaction? Earlier, the first few verses, they say that he has wisdom. They say that he has mighty works. Did Jesus do anything differently here in Nazareth? The text does not say that he did. The answer is here in the text, though, as to their reaction. Verses 55 and 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? It's quite clear to them that he was a man. 
How could he be anything else? Jesus was a part of their town. He was raised there. He is known as the carpenter's son. They know his brothers and they know his sisters. They have watched him grow up, and as far as we know, and from their reaction, they had no idea that he was anything but a regular guy. Now here's the question. Were they wrong? I'm not going to ask for hands, but um, were they wrong? Well, no and yes. It's a complex answer. Jesus was a man. Yes, so they were right. The townsfolk had him pegged. He was Jesus of Nazareth. He grew up there. He was raised there. His family lived there. But we also know that he was God. So those tones people were wrong. And this last verse shows us what that leads to. And he did not do many works, many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. The people of Nazareth could not and did not see him as a teacher. Anyone with a message for God or even allow him to do any mighty works. Their unbelief in Jesus and then consequently his message prevented the standard healings, the miracles, the typical works of the Holy Spirit that at this time in Jesus' ministry were so prevalent. You see, they had their mind made up about him from what they had previously knew of him. And as such, they were not open to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. This demonstrates a point in our human nature. Then and now, we really hold on to first impressions. How much work will it take to change your mind about someone or something if the first 10 minutes meeting with them goes badly? This may still be influencing a relationship three years later, and that's horrible. People do change. Sometimes they change for better and sometimes they change for worse. I'm not saying that the first impression is wrong. I'm just saying it might, it might also be wrong. But my point is, people do change and we, as humans, can be wrong with our first impressions also. Now how about Jesus? What were you first told about him? How did we see others act around him? Maybe in church, maybe family experiences. Were these first impressions accurate? Let's think about that for a little bit. We're coming to Easter. Next week is Easter. Most families have an Easter gathering. The whole family gets together. Is this an example of Jesus? Are we seeing Jesus there? I don't know what your family gatherings are like. Maybe you had an aunt, an uncle possibly, a grandmother, a grandfather, a parent who taught you about Jesus when you were young. Maybe you didn't. Um, on the way into church this morning, I was thinking about this, this point. And I'm thinking of a time when I was probably 19, going to tech school, working a second shift job, coming home very, very late, you know, midnight, one o'clock. And on the television was a pastor, Scott. He called himself a Reverend Scott. I don't remember which. Very engaging. Wow, I had never heard anyone preach like that. Until he stopped and said he wasn't going to preach anymore until anybody sent in some more money. Well, Scott wasn't a good role model, okay? He, he, uh, he was flashy. He was, uh, he was good with the uh, Revelation texts and uh, he had a giant whiteboard. But he said he was teaching Jesus. 
I was listening. Did anything he said, is that still stuck in my mind? Um, I hope not. Uh, I don't think he was doing anything for the kingdom there. Uh, he actually said he needed to buy a new horse, if you believe it. And he wasn't going to preach anymore until he had enough money to buy himself a new thoroughbred. Hey, late night TV, what were you going to get in the 80s, right? I don't know. But point made, first impressions of Jesus. Did they come from television? Did they come from scripture? Did they come from family members? What were they and how are they influencing you now? Let's go back to our scripture and the people of Nazareth. And then we'll go over some of our views and see what we might have in common. These people in Nazareth knew Jesus as a person just like any other. In fact, they knew him in the context of his family, his mother, his father, his brothers and sisters. So they knew him first person. Undoubtedly, some of them ate with him and talked with him. And at this point, you would say that if any human knew Jesus, it was these people. So as I looked at this in context, there's a few details that need to be pointed out. Jesus is the carpenter's son, so that's what he will most likely be doing. He will be a carpenter. Skills are passed down from father to son. It makes me think of the instructions that were given to the Jews and the 12 tribes as they were set up. And Moses gave them instructions, specifically to the tribe of Levi, who are to be the priests and the ministers in the temple. None of the other tribes were allowed to do this work, and they did not get a choice in their career. This thinking, or this reality, that people didn't go off to college and find a career should be in our minds. Today, in Amer here, in this country, in America, we're told that you can do anything you want as a child, and that begins to shape us even when we don't even know what we want to do. Some naturally follow what their parents do and others don't, and that's fine in our society. If you want something different, all you need to do is go get some schooling and take the job. This could not be farther from the truth in Nazareth. They know that Jesus did not spend his youth being trained or taught in the synagogue or the temple for any service to God. He was home with his family, so their reaction is very understandable. It is as if this morning I was up here lecturing you on rap music, and I'm going to give you a little concert. Uh, no. You don't want that, trust me. I have nothing to say on rap music that you need to know, and you definitely don't need to see me give a concert. So you're going to dismiss me. You're going to take offense even at what I might say next. I don't have the qualifications to be doing that. And that's our point. When they looked at Jesus, they didn't see any qualifications. So they said, we're not going to listen to your message. <clears throat> okay, back. And then, so he didn't have these qualifications, and so they weren't going to change their point of view. It, but even though his teaching was not labeled as incorrect, Scripture doesn't say they called him a heretic or ran him out for preaching ungodly things. They did not call him a false teacher. They just weren't going to listen to him. So how does that information affect me today? How does this scripture affect me? Where am I going to go with this message? Well, this morning's message is step by step. It's a building message and it will become clear. Just stick around with me and we'll get there. Point number one was a point that I just made. That Jesus was and is a man. A human man. And those who knew him before his ministry were not able to get past this point. 
Point number two is to be made next. It is that we have ideas and thoughts of who Jesus is, and they may be wrong or incomplete, and they may be difficult for us to change. Let's take a look at a few verses describing Jesus' life. Jesus had to grow up, and his body was completely human. Luke 2, verse 40, a portion of that verse. And these are all just portions. And the child grew and became strong. Jesus became tired and he needed rest from John 46. Excuse me, John 4, 6. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Jesus had to grow. He had to increase in wisdom. He had to learn to eat, to walk and talk and to write just as the other children did. And Jesus grew in wisdom from Luke 2, 52. Jesus experienced emotions as humans do and he marveled at the centurion's faith. When Jesus heard this, he marveled from Matthew 8:10. He wept with sorrow at the death of Lazarus. Jesus wept. I believe the shortest verse in all of the Bible. But many, many messages could be taken from those two words. Jesus was known to pray, and this verse describes one of such occasion when he was praying. And he was praying with loud cries and tears. I've listed these verses and only portions of these verses as a quick overview of his humanity. Some of these verses may be familiar to us, and some not so much talked about, but they are all meaningful and are included in Scripture for a reason. This morning's Scripture that we are teaching from, if I were to sum it up in one long thought, would be this. Jesus came home. The people didn't know him as a teacher or preacher and so rejected his message so forcibly that they prevented the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit and then Jesus left. I've got three statements for us. Let's not be a people who have our minds made up before we hear the message. Let's not be a people who have our minds made up about Jesus so that we cannot learn something new. And let's not be a people who have our minds so set that we are not able to consider being wrong about an idea or a belief that we have about Christ. So now I'm going to... Now I think it's a good time for me to say thank you for letting me be up here preaching this morning. Some of you know me and others not so much, but you are giving me your attention and I pray that I am being led by the Spirit and preaching the truth that I am called to share. Today is different than 2,000 years ago. We are redeemed by Jesus. We have the Bible to test all teaching with and end the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us. You could easily say we are an informed consumer. And I would expect that if anything I say is contrary to the truth of Scripture, I will be made aware. But that doesn't mean all that is said will be easy to hear. It may be the hearer who needs to be changed, and the truth of Scripture has a habit of doing that if we allow it. I can honestly say that each message I have preached has grown me personally. Now let's share this morning's message. Let me share with you this morning how this morning's message was prompted. Recently, I've been watching a video series called The Chosen, and it has honestly been good and has helped me to see some things much clearer. It has forced me to rethink some of my own views or opinions of Jesus and how his earthly ministry was carried out. 
If you do not know about this series, I'm going to explain it a bit. The Chosen video series, and I think Stacy has a slide here with that, is telling the story of the 12 apostles, hence the title of The Chosen, and all of the familiar characters that we know about from the Gospels. But it is not from Jesus' perspective. It is as if we are walking along Jesus aside him as he taught and healed and lived. It really spends a lot of time filling in the personalities of those around Jesus. And Duncan has taught us somewhat about Peter's personality. Peter was an act first and think later type personality. And this is from scripture. And that is brought out in this series. It is in the way that the disciples acted towards each other and in other, any, many other real-life experiences for them and Jesus. Yes, they're adding in details that the Scripture does not, but so far as I've seen, these details have not changed Scripture, and I do not believe that they are, and I do believe that they are extremely careful to show accurate portrayals of life as we can know that it was. And now the latest episode I watched, and sorry for a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but trust me, what I say will not minimize the message of this episode. It opens with a long line of people coming to Jesus for healing, just like our scripture from this morning, from earlier in Matthew, and for deliverance from demons. And then the episode continues with the apostles and their issues as they are self-absorbed in them until it finally is dark outside, evidently well past the time that Jesus should have returned to their campsite. And they are about to really get into an argument with each other. And then Jesus walks, or more rightly, more rightly, is just barely walking back into the camp. By the firelight, we see that he is dirty and exhausted. He appears to have blood on him, most likely not his own blood, and goes past the arguing disciples to his tent to collapse. He has been healing all day, possibly 12 hours straight. His mother goes to him to get his sandals off of his feet as he can barely move himself. She washes his feet and says goodnight. Jesus prays a short evening prayer of thankfulness to his father, about 20 seconds. And the apostles are quiet. And we're left to consider what has just happened. One of my conceptions, and possibly some of yours as well, of Jesus' life here as he was teaching and preaching and healing has just been blown out of the water. I'm not sure when I got this idea, but I definitely had the idea that Jesus was God's son, one-third of the Trinity, that his life here on earth would be different from, from mine. After all, he is Jesus, all-powerful, all-knowing, our Savior. The Jesus I was raised as with was not to be trifled with. Thunderbolts and lightning, the judge, and yes, also a Savior, the one who was on the cross a place he volunteered to go to redeem us. This is a fairly complete picture of Jesus. But it did not include this tired, worn-out man needing to just get to his cot for some rest. So I went looking, and some of the scripture already in today's message came up. At the well in Samaria, we read that he was weary from his journey. We know that he was sleeping in a boat that was tossed around by a storm. And we know that after he fasted and was tempted in the desert, angels came and were ministering to him. These are short portions of verses of scripture that I have that show Jesus resting. But these, these portions of scripture are usually not the main point. 
I have not taken these verses out of context, but have separated them out so that we can give them some attention. In my mind, these small texts did not lead me to see the Jesus I saw just a few weeks ago. My idea of how Jesus lived and died in his ministry was wrong. Not wrong in what he did, not the facts, not wrong in how I saw him doing the work, excuse me, but wrong in how I saw him doing the work. My picture of Jesus is fuller now. It's more correct. The way that I know him is better. For some of us, seeing can really bring clarity to an issue. The saying that there are no wasted words in Scripture is true. This was my personal experience, but it may very well be yours also. How many messages can be preached from these two words, Jesus wept? What portions of Jesus might you be missing today? Can anyone really say that they know the complete Jesus, his love, his compassion, his deity, or his humanity? My opinion is that no, we cannot fully know him here in this fallen state while we live on this earth. But if we continue to learn from scripture and teachings, we can know more. Let's check back on our step-by-step outline. Step one, Jesus was a human man. Step two, we have ideas of who Jesus is and they may be wrong, just as the Nazarenes were. Step three, three, the facts we know could be true, but not be the whole picture or be interpreted properly. And our final point, number four, knowing the complete Jesus will change things. This coming week is known as Holy Week. In the next seven days, Jesus will enter Jerusalem and is treated as a king. Today, on Palm Sunday, is when that happens. The people in Jerusalem greet him as he should be greeted. He has shown honor and respect. But by Thursday, he will sit down with the apostles in the upper room, and he will eat what we call the Last Supper. He knew it was the Last Supper, but his apostles did not. And then on the next day, on Friday, he is put to death on the cross. He dies. Three days later, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is alive again. He is raised from the dead. On the cross, Jesus' human body stopped. He died. The same humanity that we all have, a mortal body, a body that was tired and thirsted and bled, it stopped. This past few weeks, I have thought more about the price Jesus paid for my sins, how in his humanity he paid that price. He did not have a body that was immune to any of life's challenges or that was somehow able to feel less pain or be less cold than mine. A body that could function for 20, 30, 40 hours straight without rest or somehow do all of the miracles through the Holy Spirit that he had done to these crowds of throngs of people that were following him and pressing in on him. There's a story that we may be familiar with of the woman who reached out and touched his cloak in the crowd and Jesus' response was, I have felt power leave from me. How draining would it have been as Hundreds of people came to him. His body was human. It wasn't any different than ours. Jesus is more real to me today than he had been a few weeks ago. Yes, I know that he is also divine. 
I have not talked about that at all. There are many messages to be preached on the truth of Jesus' divinity as well. It needs to be said that if he was not God's son, he could not have paid our price for our sins. He could not have defeated death. But if he were not human, he could not have done these things either. Knowing more of his humanity has very much changed the way that I see my Savior. I hope you can, as I have, grow closer to Jesus, knowing he felt the pains that you do. He was tired as you can be. This life was difficult. And he lived this life out to please his Father. And he was pleased to do that. Jesus is our Savior who knows our pains and our trials. He lived them. We can relate to him. And we can know him more each and every day. We can grow closer to him. This Jesus we call Lord gave up his place at the Father's side for a time. He became a man and paid the impossible price to allow us the privilege to be adopted into God's family. Redeemed and made righteous, we only need to realize that we cannot get right with God on our own, but are in desperate need of a Savior. We cannot live a sin-free life. Believe in his son, Jesus. Place our trust in his work on the cross. Confess our sins and accept Jesus as Lord of our lives. If we ask, he is faithful and true to deliver us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you this morning for your son, Jesus. God, thank you for the price that he paid on the cross. And Lord, as we go through this next week, let's spend extra time with him in Scripture. Let's spend extra time as we, as we consider the cost that he paid. God's Son came to earth, lived as a human, suffered as a human, died as a human. But not only did he suffer his, his own, he suffered for no sin of his own. He was sinless, but he took on the sins of all of us, of this entire world. He took on the sins of humanity that his father wished to save. God, we can't comprehend this, but we can know through our own physical life here on this earth that things are difficult and can only, only just grasp a small part of the difficulty and the trials and the pain and the stress and just the act of taking on the sins of humanity for a sinless son of God. We can try to comprehend that this week. Grow closer to Jesus and celebrate with him this coming Sunday as he is raised from the dead so that we can become sons and daughters of God. Lord, I also would like to pray this morning now for this meal that we're going to have afterwards. God, I pray your blessing on it. I pray that all who have prepared it have done well and are blessed by that. And I pray that as we gather and talk in fellowship, that we would grow, that we would share in each other's lives meaningful things, things of Jesus, so that we can all grow and know him better. In Christ's name, amen.